Hello and welcome to the Truth About Local Government podcast, a podcast aimed at providing a platform to promote the excellent work that the political members and officers of local authorities are doing to overcome the increasing challenges facing the communities across the UK. Additionally, we will be promoting the wider way of career opportunities that exist within local government. We hope this podcast will help drive engagement between the public and local authorities across the UK. Absolutely ecstatic today because we had the leader of West Northamptonshire Council joining us to talk about maintaining the relation between officers and members, talking about how you keep 93 politicians engaged and how you prioritise spend against statutory, um, well, a wanted spend, let's just say. Um, I'll do a little introduction first before we uh, before we get him on. But uh, born in Northampton, Jonathan Nunn grew up in a family who ran a, a small business in the town and himself has a career history spanning both corporate environments and smaller businesses, mainly working in the areas of business development and in management training and development. In 2016, Jonathan became leader of Northampton Borough Council and in 2021 became leader of the newly formed West Northamptonshire Unitary Council, which delivers all local authority services to 405,000 residents approximately across the Northampton, Southamptonshire and Damantree area. Jonathan's passion is for economic development and regeneration across West Northampton and the South East Midlands. Seeing prosperity and a good environment as fundamental building blocks of a good quality of life. Jonathan, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today. How are you? Yeah, I'm really well. Thank you. And great to be with you, Matthew. I'm really grateful for the invitation to come along and chat. Amazing. Well, let's let's get into that first question. Um, West Northamptonshire is, is a large unitary council. How do you as the leader, you know, maintain a good working relationship between the officers and the members? You know, one side elected by the local people and the other side, technical professionals who've obviously yeah. specific expertise. How do you go about getting that balance right? Well, I mean, first of all, I was really delighted when you suggested a few areas to discuss that this was one on your list, because I do think it's absolutely vital. And I think it's un- often underestimated. For me, it's one of the most significant let's say, challenges, one of the most important things to get right in an organisation. Isn't it strange? I love democracy, but let's think about some of the shortcomings. We, we may get elected possibly because we're absolutely wonderful, or possibly it happens to be we're in an area where our party is the most popular. We find ourselves as part of a uh, part of a group. Uh, and if you feel you want to dedicate your time, there may be a small number of you who then, uh, you, you know, might be in the running for cabinet leader type uh, type jobs. And, and that comes as it shouldn't do with any restriction. Uh, there's no <laughs> there's no exam to become a councillor. There's no IQ test even. So you do literally get, as you should do, you get the man and the woman off the street coming forward to represent their local um, communities. But of course, you come into one of the most heavily regulated environments that you can come into really and quite rightly because whatever you do you're you're having an influence on the on the public and above all you're spending you're spending public money to offset that, that against career officers who you, you know are, are very experienced probably have relevant qualifications or certainly relevant uh, experience if you, if you become a director of a council particularly a large unitary like this they have a great deal of expertise and it's getting that balance right you know which on a daily basis is is you know to what extent am i listening to professional advice uh, it, 
being concerned that the extreme of that might be, uh, you know, there's a Humphrey <laughs> type thing. If you haven't got that positive relationship, you know, you, 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 there is almost a reason why you don't do anything. Um, and then sometimes there, there is a time for knowing that this is one of those occasions where actually I accept all the disadvantages and the potential uh, problems, but this is what the public wants us to do and this is what we promised them to do. It's absolutely getting that balance right. And I think it's one of those things that, um, you know, if it goes wrong today, somebody might say, how do I fix it today? I would say go back two years and start developing a culture that makes sure it doesn't happen. In other words, it's not a quick fix. Um, it, it's only in a situation where you develop trust uh, and respect between officers and members um, that you know that you can you can rely on officers to come forward with the bold ideas. It, it, the worst thing you can do is quash that creativity. I always remember Steve Jobs who says, we don't employ good people uh, to tell them what to do. We employ the best people so they can tell us what to do. Uh, in other words, the difference there is if you really believe you've got the best people, you've got to allow that flair and ideas to show through. You've got to give people the confidence, create culture in which they'll come forward with ideas. They'll say, look, I've thought of something really bold. I don't know if it'll work. Tell me what you think of it politically, and then we maybe explore it. You've, you've got to have that sort of culture. And you've got to have that culture where people can admit mistakes. If you have got that, you're likely to get that relationship right. But where you get officers who, you know, try and quash the democracy out of decisions or alternatively where you get councillors who throw their weight about and get demanding um, you're never going to get things right it's getting that balance absolutely right so i don't know if i've given a clue there to some of the things no that you done. definitely i guess the, the key bit i want to go back to there was we talked trust yeah so, and you talked about you know going back and laying the foundation so there's a culture where people will come forward and will share ideas mm. as the leader how do you mm. go about creating that culture in the first place what actions do you have to take for those at home that you know, um, I've never worked in a council or you know, maybe don't even I mean, I don't know how the, the local government political system works. How do you as the leader of that council ensure that, you know, that trust and that collaboration and that culture is being created? Mm. Well, um, but it, in, interestingly, of course, as you alluded to, we're fairly new unitary 2021. So we're just over a couple of years old. Um, and of course, we came together from four different councils. That was half of the county council and three separate district councils, all of which had their own culture. And, and of course, also, they had staff working uh, in them who for about four years weren't entirely sure what the future was. They probably knew there would be a role for them if they're a planner or, or you know, whatever their role is. But they didn't necessarily know where they'd fit in, what was their pay going to be and so on. So we, we had a great deal of uncertainty. We tried to do a lot of the practicalities quickly so people understood what the new structures were going to be and, and where they might. Uh, uh, where they might um, fit in. I think we did some 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 specific things. Uh, for example, we felt it was essential in the first two years, particularly given that some of the staff had come from a troubled, financially troubled council, which meant that pay rises had been short and so on. We guaranteed for the first two years the national um, pay settlement uh, plus half a percent. And, and although I don't think many people are totally money motivated, that was a recognition that people were going to be important. We then got a whole bunch of different methods in which people can feedback and give their give their opinions. Uh, we've also created, I think, a culture in the way we behave with the directors and the assistant directors in our day to day interactions with them hopefully percolates percolates down, um, which is they treat people positively. They recognise that if you want to motivate people, our residents have the right to engage with people who are quite glad to be at work and they're happy to help and they want to go the extra mile. That's what I think our people deserve. They will only get that from our staff if our staff feel well looked after, really. If they're watching the clock, taking it easy, can't wait to get home, don't like the job, don't like the boss, don't like the, the administration. 
participants are not going to get the best service. Um, so you do that again by trusting people. You do that by ensuring that we don't have one of those cultures where people are told, told, told all the time, but they get the opportunity to get involved in things. And, and I think we try and encourage our, all of our managers throughout to appreciate that people come to work, yes, partly to pay their bills. Of course they do. They wouldn't otherwise. But what really motivates people is a sense of being involved uh, and it's a sense of of being cared about. Uh, it, it, it's a certain level to interesting work. So so a manager sharing the other things that are going on in the department, allowing people to chip in with suggestions on each other's work. These are the things that make people feel good at work, but not just at a council, but but anywhere. Although money motivates, it, it, it's proven to have quite a short motivation. If all of us get a pay rise a month or so later, we've almost forgotten about it. Whereas if we are continually appreciated, um, it, it, it tends to mean we get a lot more satisfaction in our, in our jobs. I think we've done quite well at that. I'm led to believe that on there's obviously a whole bunch of recruitment sites, one is Glassdoor. Apparently, we have a higher rating than John Lewis as a council. We have a higher rating than on John Lewis. I need to check that myself, but I'm reliably informed again this week. And, and I think we've only done that by giving people a sense of purpose. I think the other people thing that gets people excited. I always personally attend any inductions uh, and because of the size of the council with 3000 staff. It, it means that every few months we've got another, you know, maybe there's 30 or 40 people joining the organisation. I go along and I meet them all personally and I do try and give them a feeling for the mission we're on, which, yes, it's about delivering the best public services we can. Money is always tight in the public sector, and particularly at the moment, but I try and give them the bigger ambition. So whatever department they're in, I want them to know that we're way ahead on the anti-poverty agenda with the anti-poverty strategy we have. I want them to know that we're way ahead of the sustainability agenda because we're members of UK 100, makes us one of the most ambitious councils in the country. And I want them to feel that we're on a real journey and on a real mission. And I hope that every Everybody realizes, you know, that their their job that they're doing for the public, they're 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 being a cog, if you like, in the whole machine of the council is, is absolutely vital to that bigger that bigger purpose and agenda. I think these are some of the things we do to try and culture uh, culture encourage that. Right at the other opposite end of the scale, we say to our councillors, come into the office, walk around, let people see you, and smile and smile at people. It's amazing how many councils I think were discomfort and we always know um that in all councils it, it, people are accustomed to being very respectful to the role of a councillor whether it's to the individual or whether it's just the the role they recognize it's a public representative and this often means that mostly they'll call you councillor and, and be very polite and so on but that can can cause a bit of a distance and i know some of our councillors who've come from other councils i've not previously been involved in have never had any kind of relationship with the officers and we say come in we give them all a badge and it's, it's you know councillor john smith or whatever walk around a little bit don't disturb people but smile at them show them that you're human and so i think we've encouraged a higher level of interaction respectful behavior at committees is another one absolutely vital it, you can feel passionate about something but if you express that passion in a raised voice in a way that can in any way appear disrespectful to officers or to other members of the public you, you, you get into trouble there. So I suppose trying to illustrate it's a whole bunch of different behaviours, quite difficult to, to list them in a finite way. But I think all these things are absolutely vital because if you haven't got these sort of behaviours going on, when suddenly you do get a testing situation, it's all going to fall apart and the officer is going to hide the information or the member is going to shout and scream and bang the table or, or whatever it might be. So you've got to work on that throughout, I think. And for everyone at home, just to give a bit of context, there are 93 politicians at Westamptonshire, and of that, 63 are Conservatives. So that's how, 
yeah. you know, Jonathan is keeping as the leader, uh, you know, those, those political members engaged and doing a fantastic job. I want to go back to a few things you just talked about, Jonathan, because I think everyone at home would be really interested. You talked about the um, the poverty agenda, yeah. uh, sustainability. Would you mind just talking about a little bit more about these initiatives that you're, you know, the, you, the council's driving towards? Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose the thing about these initiatives is... Um, it is a tough job just 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 the day job in running in, in, in a council as a whole you know keeping on top of the problems the increasing demand that we have for adults and children's services the, the financial squeeze that in itself is a hard job plus we've also of course been forming a new council so we've had to regrade people uh we've had to restructure we've had all of that forming a new council bit but what we've been absolutely determined to do is to make sure that we do some stuff that leaves the world in a better place at the end of our term and, and one of the first things there was the anti-poverty strategy it's something uh that we considered back in my previous council the borough council obviously combination of covid and also the fact that we were going for unitary meant that many of our ambitions for the last couple of years of that council you know through through from sort of 2019 through through till 2021 many of those ambitions didn't happen uh, and it was an idea, a big part of it was driven by our Labour opposition, actually, at the, uh, the borough, many of whom are also now Labour councils here at West North Ants. So we looked around at the other anti-poverty strategies around the country. We found some great ones. I remember Salford, I think it was, uh, that had a fantastic one. Uh, and we're not shy of copying good ideas. But the one thing that I think was important to us is to get other people involved. Um, and have a theory. It's not a theory, it's a fact, I think. You know, if you want to get something done, you're better to involve as many minds as possible. One, first of all, you'll get a better solution. It'll take longer, but not only will you get a better solution, but you'll get a solution that everybody buys into. And I have experience in some areas, even those areas where people are doing good, you know, charitable organisations, perhaps supporting the homeless. You would think that we're all united on the same course, but often people have different approaches. The council approaches the problem different to this charity and they approach it different to that. So unless everybody is aligned in what they're aiming to achieve, all you get is like a civil war amongst those people who are trying to prove that their way is the right way. I think that's so, so true. I mean, just on that point there, I mean, yeah. firstly, you know, absolutely right. I think it was particularly when you've got such a variety of stakeholders, you know, in the community that you serve, but equally from a political perspective, you know, mm. is collaboration something kind of, again, forgive my naivety here, Jonathan, yeah. but, you know, you've got different parties that make up the overall global government political spectrum. Are you, collab you've just talked about collaboration with the Labour Party there. Yeah. How, you know, is it, do you feel that there are tribes that you kind of wear, or is it quite, in you're quite interactive in the council? In terms of between the Labour and the Lib Dem and the, yeah. the whichever party you'd be referencing, largely I hope I hope that we are, uh, and, and I believe that we are. I don't think that we get uh, as absorbed with the politicking, if you like, as um, as some might. Uh, I mean, there's, there's another great example. Uh, which would come in our sustainability strategy. So in the uh, Lib Dem party, we got a couple of people really focused on the whole sustainability agenda and are very knowledgeable on the subject as well. So, of course, to have them as part of our um, sustainability cross-party working group is really, really valuable. And within that working group, you know, there's there's no real identification of, of who's in what party or, or any one view taking preference over another simply because they might be in the administration party or the or the opposition. So I think we um, collaborate quite well on that. We have a full council meeting, of course, uh, six or seven times a year. And obviously there is a certain amount of what they used to call it the old punch and duty politics takes place at that, I guess. Uh, but but, but it's great though, I, that 
it's great to hear that that you have that you have the have the collaboration because yeah. I think from the public mm. perspective sometimes it's just so you know you don't I, I don't know understand how how it all works so it's great to hear that there is that collaboration because like you said if you've got every so obviously these are elected members of the community and therefore in theory the whole community itself is represented if all yeah. of those voices are coming together to ensure that the goals are unified and therefore most likely to provide the most value to the community that is just fantastic i mean one question i do have around um your role and, and indeed like the more senior political uh, leaders within the council is how do you mm -hmm. prioritize spending that which you would like to do and that which mm -hmm. you are statutorily um obligated to do how difficult is that i mean it is really hard really really hard and i suppose as somebody who comes from having been you know borough councillor in other words with those districts district powers we used to collect people's bins deal with planning you know environmental health there were a bunch of things that we did but the bigger demand-led services are those that we have here at west north Ants, which of course were previously responsibility of the county council such as the adults service and the children's service and um and I, I, I did a little, little talk at a business uh, a business club thing a little while ago and i said my background is mainly commercial i've never been in a situation before where more cost customers is bad news <laughs> in everything i've done in my life more customers has generally been good news you know <laughs> out selling a product or or, or or whatever um we start the year knowing how much money we've got we don't know how many will come through the door and, and you know of course you, you know you get the pressure on adults with uh, you know aging populations and so on, and we have seen a continued increase in demand for adult services, similarly children's services um, as well. And of course, the interesting thing is if you look at the proportions, uh, although we've got you know hundreds and hundreds of people, they are very, uh, to some extent a very small proportion of our overall population. So we spend the huge majority of our money on the smallest the smallest part of the population almost that those children that are in care in our in our uh, half of, of of the county Northampton, we have about 1200 children in care but that but you know that cost is intensive and it, and it reacts very much to what at the moment seems to be a market where the provision is very expensive then we've got adults in in care but again put those two together they're a smaller proportion whereas everybody tends to get out on the roads so they either drive or they're, they're they travel on them and so they're bigger priority might be potholes we, we do have a course of responsibility for maintenance but when it comes to the fact that we could make loads and loads of people happy if we just spent a few more million quid on potholes we can't the, the statutory services are the ones that most councils such as the you know adults and children's are the ones that most councils are currently seeing get 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 carried away uh, you've just got to do it with the statutory services you haven't got a choice you, you want to be creative we have a um uh, a, a director of people it comes up with a lot of creative ideas on making things better we're going through a program of rationalizing some of our elderly care homes and that's going to do a number of different things that's actually going to achieve a better quality um, of accommodation and it's going to achieve um, a greater a greater efficiency we, we've currently got some care homes that are that old that um, some of the the older folk living in them don't have their own bathrooms. They, you know, they're not they're shared facilities, which I just think is 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 ridiculous in this day and age. They're expensive to heat the centres, but by biting the bullet, and making capital investment, will will reduce operating costs and will give people a better quality of life. So so you're continually looking for efficiency. On on the efficiency argument, we managed to take thirty million pounds out of the, our operating costs last year. 
Um, some of that is about the transition and the merging together of the of the councils. But I think you just have to keep looking at new and efficient ways of knowing that the statutory stuff like adults and children is absolutely compulsory. It's absolutely top priority. You've got to do it well, but you also need to be as efficient as you possibly can to bear in mind that you know, you've got services to other people that may be statutory, may be compulsory. I ask everyone this. Or areas Why is in which local government important? A good service, I think. <laughs> Very difficult it's, balance. It's, um, it's, it's hard, isn't it? I yeah, think lots, lots lots of the reason it's statutory. The, I mean, obviously, the fundamental thing, and you alluded obviously to it, allows the most vulnerable to be protected, uh, statutory even though it's not, uh, not just a popular market masses, but they don't see necessarily the benefit immediately affecting themselves. There are services that the market can offer. I believe if any of them was in that situation where they needed that support or their family suddenly services the market provides somebody can make a living doing it my view is we shouldn't we shouldn't interfere by starting our own competitive businesses that compete with people's you know, people's living but where there is no market such as looking after children in care such as looking after adults such as repairing our roads that's why local government uh, exists and i think the system that we have, although I alluded to it earlier about being slightly sort of flippant about democracy, ultimately, I think it's the best way. Every community should have the right to elect somebody locally to go, you know, to their local council and to make decisions. There's all sorts of risks that we run. Just like any area of life, you'll get people who might become councillors. Uh, and a lot of people might say they're not up to it. They're not good enough at it. They're not conscientious enough or whatever. There's loads of failings around that whole democracy. But for me, it's about the best way. Uh, it keeps people on their toes. It keeps them responsible. Uh, it, it gives community engagement and communities should have uh, an engagement in that role. I think local government is the glue that holds our country together. Obviously, the national government policies and so on. But if you if you look at what's going on on the ground, uh, across the voluntary sector and local services. That's all about local government. It's all about people getting involved. It's one of the reasons why uh, I used to love the district's um, uh, sort of approach because it was that bit smaller. Unitary with that bit bigger. Um, with all of the ideas of devolution and combined authorities and sort of things coming together, our key thought is that a unitary council or district council, maybe a county council, is of a size where they can know their communities well. Uh, and truly reflect what people want, um, and so I think that's where I think that's where the role fits in. I'm sure, absolutely. some of that got lost there towards the end. But no, 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 it's well. absolutely spot on. It's the glue that holds us together, and I, I agree with you. It is there where, if it wasn't for local government, the most vulnerable would fall through the cracks. It's a safety net for society, and I think that's a yeah. really, really articulate way of doing it. So, but Jonathan, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. I really do appreciate it's it. Been and a pleasure. You know, for everyone listening at home and everyone who's working for Western Hamptonshire, you know, thank you, Jonathan, for your continued service and uh, I look forward to speaking with you soon. Yep, very much so. Thank you very much.